A Flowery January in Florida by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Flowery January in Florida. Mandarin, Florida. January twenty fourth, eighteen seventy two. Yes, it is done. The winter is over and past, and the time of the singing of the birds is come. They are at it, beak and claw, the redbirds, and the catbirds, and the chattering jays, and the twittering sparrows, busy and funny and bright. Down in the swampland, fronting our cottage, four calla lily buds are just unfolding themselves, and in the little garden plot, at one side stand rose geraniums and camellias, white and pink, just unfolding. Right opposite to the window, through which the morning sun is pouring, stands a stately orange tree, thirty feet high, with spreading graceful top and varnished green leaves, full of golden fruit. These are the veritable golden apples of the Hesperides, the apples that Atalanta threw in the famous race, and they are good enough to be run after. The things that fill the New York market, called by courtesy oranges, pithy, wilted, and sour, have not even a suggestion of what those golden balls are that weigh down the great glossy green branches of yonder tree. At the tree's foot, Aunt Katie does her weekly washing in the open air the winter through. We have been putting our tape measure about it, and find it forty-three inches in girth, and for shapely beauty it has no equal. It gives one a sort of heart-thrill of possession to say of such beauty, It is mine. No wonder the scripture says, He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. The orange tree is, in our view, the best worthy to represent the tree of life of any that grows on our earth. It is the fairest, the noblest, the most generous, it is the most upspringing and abundant of all trees which the Lord God caused to grow eastward in Eden. Its wood is white and hard and tough fit to sustain the immense weight of its fruitage. Real good ripe oranges are very heavy, and the generosity of the tree inclines it to fruit in clusters. We counted, the other day, a cluster of eighteen, hanging low and weighing down the limb. But this large orange tree, and many larger than this, which are parts of one orchard, are comparatively recent growths. In 1835, Every one of them was killed, even with the ground. Then they started up with the genuine pluck of a true-born orange tree, which never says die, and began to grow again. Nobody pruned them, or helped them, or cared much about them anyway, and you can see trees that have grown up in four, five, and six trunks, just as the suckers sprung up from the roots. Then, when they had made some progress, came the orange insect, and nearly killed them down again. The owners of the land, discouraged, 
broke down the fences, and moved off, and for a while the, the land was left an open common, where wild cattle browsed, and rubbed themselves on the trees. But still, in spite of all, they have held on their way rejoicing, till now they are the beautiful creatures they are. Truly we may call them trees of the Lord, full of sap and greenness, full of lessons of perseverance to us who get frosted down and cut off time and time again in our lives. Let us hope in the Lord and be up and at it again. It is certainly quite necessary to have some such example before our eyes in struggling to found a colony here. We had such a hard time getting our church and schoolhouse, for in these primitive regions one building must do for both. There were infinite negotiations and cases to go through before a site could be bought with a clear title, and the Freedmen's Bureau would put us up a building where school could be taught on weekdays and worship held on Sundays. But at last it was done, and a neat, pleasant little place it was. We had a little Mason and Hamlin missionary organ, which we used to carry over on Sundays, and a cloth which converted the master's desk of weekdays into the minister's pulpit. And as we had a minister, organist, and choir all in our own family, we were sure of them at all events. And finally a good congregation was being gathered. On weekdays, a school for whites and blacks was taught, until the mismanagement of the school fund had used up the sum devoted to common schools and left us without a teacher for a year. But this fall, our friend Mr. D., who had accepted the situation of county overseer of schools, had just completed arrangements to open again both the white and the black schools, when, lo, in one night our poor little schoolhouse was burned to the ground with our mason and hamlin organ in it latterly it had been found inconvenient to carry it backward and forward and so it had been left locked in a closet and met a fiery doom we do not suppose any malicious incendiarism there appears evidence that some strolling loafers had gotten in to spend the night and probably been careless of their fire. The southern pine is inflammable as so much pitch, and will light with the scratch of a match. Well, all we had to do was to imitate the pluck of the orange trees, which we immediately did. Our neighborhood had increased by three or four families, and a meeting was immediately held, and each one pledged himself to raise a certain sum. We feel the want of it more for the schoolhouse than even for the church. We go on with our Sunday services at each other's houses, but alas for the poor children, black and white, growing up so fast, who have been kept out of school now a year, and who are losing these best months for study, to see people who are willing and anxious to be taught, growing up in ignorance, is the sorest sight that can afflict one. And we count the days until we shall have our church and schoolhouse again. But meanwhile, Mandarin presents to our eyes a marvelously improved aspect. Two or three large, 
handsome houses are built up in our immediate neighborhood. Your old collaborator of the Christian Union has a most fascinating place a short distance from us, commanding a noble sweep of view up and down the river. On our right hand, two gentlemen from Newark have taken each a lot, and the gables of the house of one of them overlook the orange trees bravely from the river. The southern pine, unpainted, makes a rich, soft color for a house. Being merely oiled, it turns a soft golden brown, which harmonizes charmingly with the landscape. How cold is it here? We ask ourselves a dozen times a day. What season is it? We say, this spring this summer, and speak of our northern life as last winter. There are cold nights and occasionally white frosts, but the degree of cold may be judged from the fact that the Cala Ethiopica goes on budding and blossoming out of doors, that Lamarque roses have not lost their leaves and have long young shoots on them, and that our handmaiden, a pretty young mulatress, occasionally brings to us a whole dish of roses and buds which her devoted has brought her from some back cottage in the pine woods. We have also eaten the last fresh tomatoes from the old vines since we came, but a pretty severe frost has nipped them, as well as cut off a promising lot of young peas just coming into pod. But the pea vines will still grow along, and we shall have others soon. We eat radishes out of the ground, and lettuce, now and then, a little nipped by the frost, and we get long sprays of yellow jessamine, just beginning to blossom in the woods. Yes, it is spring, though still it is cold enough to make our good bright fire a rallying point to the family. It is good to keep fire in a country where it is considered a great point to get rid of wood. One piles and heaps up with a genial cheer when one thinks, the more you burn, the better. It only costs what you pay for cutting and hauling. We begin to find our usual number of letters wanting to know all this, that, and the other about Florida. All in good time, friends. Come down here at once and use your own eyes, and you will know more than we can teach you. Till then, adieu. End of A Flowery January in Florida by Harriet Beecher Stowe Read by Bellona Times